Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to see you again today. I also want to, as Elliot did, want to welcome those of you who are joining us online. As Elliot mentioned, we are in the middle of an effort to raise the money needed to build a kids' building over this location right here over Center Court. This is uh, the final big piece that is needed to complete this property and give us the capacity for future growth. Now, we're doing this now so that when we emerge from this pandemic, whenever that's going to be, we will be ready to fully welcome what we think will be the increasing number of our friends and neighbors who, because of the experience of this year, are going to be more open and more curious and more hungry for the stability and the truth that only God can offer. So to accomplish this, we're attempting to raise $2.5 million. This will allow us to begin construction in December by the end of this year and then complete that construction by September of next year. So we're asking everyone who is a part of this church to pray about giving two gifts over and above their regular giving here to Seabreeze. The first gift is a one-time gift by the end of this year. The second is an amount that God is leading you to give over the next three years. So that would be 2021, 22, and 23. And then on November 8, in just a few weeks, I'm going to be asking everyone to let us know the total of those two gifts. Now, we're going to give you a mechanism by which you can let us know, both a card as well as if you'd like to do that digitally. We'll let you know about that in, in a week or so. But that's going to be on November 8th when we're going to ask everyone to let us know what God is leading them to give to this. So again, this is an amount over your regular giving to Seabreeze and over the next three years. Two overs. Over your regular giving and over the next three years. Now at the bottom of the, um, the message guide, in the gray box, you'll see kind of a summary of what I've just said, what we're asking everyone to pray about. So if you get confused, go ahead and take a look at that, and hopefully that'll, that'll clear up any confusion. Now, if you're a guest with us today, don't feel any pressure to give. We're so glad that you've joined us. You're beginning to check out uh, this church, in particular, what it means to follow Jesus Christ, maybe. And I think this is a really great time for you to be here, because you're going to get a chance to kind of sit in on a family meeting of sorts over the next few weeks. And you're going to get a chance to hear about the things that are really important to us. And I actually hope this will inspire you. Now, if you've been around Seabreeze for a while, you know that the plan to do this is not surprising. I mean, we've been talking about this for a while, in particular, more over the last year or so. But what may be surprising is that we're doing this during a global pandemic. And that brings up the question I want to address today. How do you make a good decision in the middle of a global pandemic, in the middle of a time that's as foggy and as uncertain as this is. I mean, how can we really be confident about any decision in the middle of all of this uncertainty? In the Old Testament book of Proverbs, there are two verses that have guided the followers of God through the fog of uncertainty for millennia. And I want to look at these two verses this morning and tell a little bit about the story of how we came to this decision through these verses. Here's what we read in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. These two verses describe two pre-decisions that we need to make before we make a good decision, and then one result that comes from making a decision based on the two pre-decisions. We're going to look at each of these this morning. The first pre-decision is the leaning decision. This is the first point of the outline today, the leaning decision. 
as it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart, heart and lean not on your own understanding. Now, what does that mean? All of us, as we move through life, making decisions, because we can't see the future, we have to lean on or rely on some form of external guidance to give us input, to, to direct us as we make our decisions about the future. It's kind of similar to what we do whenever we navigate to a physical location. We have to use a map. More likely now we use some form of GPS because, well, we can't see our destination and we don't know every turn to take to make sure that we arrive at that particular address. And trust is always an issue whenever it comes to leaning or relying on some kind of external source for guidance, for direction. You know, I probably like you, I use Google Maps a lot. But do you trust Google Maps all the time? Not always. I mean, I, I have a hard time trusting Google, especially when Google takes me in some seemingly random neighborhood. I mean, I, I think I know where we're going, and all of a sudden we take a right and we're into some neighborhood, and I'm doing 30 miles an hour. It seems like that's not the right move. It feels like a detour. So at that point, my own understanding kicks in, and I begin to question Google. And sometimes I just go with Google, and sometimes I go with my own understanding. And that's because Google doesn't always make sense to me. I've had that same kind of experience when it comes to trusting God. There are many times in my life where, as I've been reading God's Word and gotten a sense of direction of what God wants me to do, I, it just doesn't make sense to me. I don't, I don't see how that's a good move or a good decision. And at that point, I have a leaning decision to make. I have a trust decision to make. Am I going to trust in the guidance that I'm getting from God, or am I going to trust in my own understanding at that point? Now, honestly, God has taken me on some pretty interesting paths through my life. Most of them, as I look back, make a lot of sense right now. But there's still some I'm scratching my head over, and I don't understand why God directed me to do that. And that's why it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Not just some of your heart, but all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. It's okay to have your own understanding. There's no way to avoid your own understanding. But, but when it comes to what you're going to lean more on, says you need to lean not on your own understanding. Why would we do that? Why would we lean on God's direction more than our direction? Well, for the simple fact that God can see much further into the future than we can. He knows more than we do. You know, if you're just going down the street to see a neighbor, you don't pull out GPS to guide you three blocks down to see your neighbor. Because you can see that far. And you've been there before. So you don't need a map. You don't need GPS to guide you. But if you're driving to, say, some unknown address in Riverside, well, now you need GPS. Now you need guidance. You need turn-by-turn -turn instruction. Now, this morning, we're not talking, of course, about the decisions that get us to addresses or places that you can find on a map. We're talking about the decisions that shape the direction of your life and that impact you and if you're married, your spouse, and if you have kids, your kids and the family that follows from that. These are big decisions, not just, am I going to get lost on the way to Riverside decisions? And the only one with the perspective high enough to give us guidance on those kind of decisions is God himself. He sees, of course, more than we do. He knows what matters both now and what's really going to matter in eternity. But the problem is trust, this leaning thing, is not just a mental decision. Trust is something that's built through experience. And that's because what we trust in, we lean on. We actually use it in real life, not just in theory. So whatever we lean on, whatever we trust in, 
comes with a history. We have a history of trusting it. And that history won't go away just because we decide to navigate by what God says. Real trust is built over time. So if we're going to lean not on our own understanding, part of what has to happen is we're going to have to shift away from what that looks like for us. And when it comes to making decisions, our own understanding has, has a long experience, has a history in two particular areas. I call them the nods and the odds. Whenever we make decisions, we usually rely on both the nods and the odds. Let me explain what I mean by those. The nods, I'm talking about people nodding their heads in approval. So we, we get ready to make a decision and we maybe talk to some people or we look around and we try to figure out whether this decision is going to meet with the nods of the people we care about or whether it's going to meet with the shake of the head of the people we care about. And that really shapes, that really influences the decisions that we make. We find it really hard to make a decision that's different than maybe the nods are going to tell us. The reason we look for nods, the nods of approval from others, is that we were created to receive God's nod of approval. Now, people are created in the image of God. What that means is we all reflect some of who God is. So whenever we or someone else nods, that really has an impact on people. It's, it's a sense that we're getting a little reflection of the approval that we seek from God. But because we can't see God, we look for it in the faces and the, the nods of other people. But the problem with the nods of people is that just as the moon, as a reflector of the sun, is never as bright as the sun, so people are never a full and accurate reflection of what God approves of. People can nod in approval over behavior that God is shaking his head at and disapproving. Or they can shake their heads in opposition. You shouldn't be doing that to what God is saying. That's exactly what you should be doing. So if we navigate by the, the dim light of what other people think of us, the direction their head is moving, up or down or side to side, if we navigate by that dim light, we will end up lost in the dark. This is why Proverbs 29, 25 says this, fear of man, which means concern of what people think about you, will prove to be a snare. If you guide by that, you're going to step into trap after trap after trap. But whoever trusts in the Lord, that's how you're going to avoid traps. So that's the nods. The second thing that we really use uh, in our own understanding to guide our decisions usually are the odds. So it's the nods and the odds. Now the odds, this is, um, this is more for us spreadsheet kind of people, how we analyze before we make our decisions. What we do with the odds is we kind of evaluate the chances of success or failure based on our analysis of the available data. Now that's not a wrong thing to do, but if you lean on that exclusively, you're not going to make good decisions, is what Proverbs is saying. You know, early in this pandemic, I read a report that said an estimated 50% of all Californians would become infected with COVID-19. 50%. That's 20 million people. Now, that number was not just plucked out of the sky. That number was based on a model. Now, in this year, we've become very, very familiar with models. We see these charts and these graphs showing us the predicted future of this virus. Now, where do these models come from? It's really math. It's, it's an evaluation of the odds. It's a mathematical formula that uses what we know about past pandemics and other viruses similar to this one, 
And it allows us then to project a possible, and sometimes people will say a likely path to this virus. So how are we doing so far in predicting the path of this virus? Not very good. So far, here in the state of California, we are at about 878,000 cases of COVID. That's a lot less than 20 million. Now, I know we're not done yet, but at this rate, it'll never be 20 million. Why? How, how could there be such a big miss? Well, some say it's because of, you know, the stay-at-home orders, and yeah, I'm sure that had an impact, but that can't account for a miss this big. And this is the problem with the odds. The reason the odds are often wrong is because every set of odds, every model based on the odds is driven by two things. What we know about the current situation, in this case, what we know about the virus, which is constantly changing, and what we know about human behavior, which is about the least predictable thing of all. So if you go right now to the CDC website and you click on the forecast page for COVID, you can see the national forecast for the infections and deaths of this virus. To the left of the current month is the historical data. This is what has actually happened. The number of infections, the number of deaths, of deaths in this country. To the right of this month are the models that predict the path of the virus from this point forward. And on the CDC website, there is a colored line for all the different models. They have 31 models that spread out from the point of this month, all with different colors. Now, if you're online, you're seeing this right now. So if you're curious, I would encourage you to go home later and look at the CDC forecast page. You can see this for yourself. 31 different models. Why 31 models? Because they all disagree. The models, if you see it, they fan out kind of like a rainbow. Some of them show the virus getting worse. Some of them show the virus flatlining, and some of them show the virus declining. 31 different models. I think it's a visual representation of the limitations we face whenever we try to use the odds to predict the future. There are just too many moving parts when it comes to what's going to happen in the future for us to have any level of certainty as we rely on the odds to make our decisions. So for me, early on, I was a, a pretty strong data watcher on this whole thing. I was a COVID model watcher. I tracked the numbers, and I was encouraged by all the predictions at that point, this is back in March and April, all the predictions, for the most part, of the demise of COVID by summer. But then the summer came, and we all know what happened. COVID didn't go away. Actually, the numbers spiked, and steps were taken to kind of restrict us some more. And at that point, I got really discouraged. And part of it is because I had no idea how to plan any kind of future for Seabreeze in that environment. I had no idea, how, how do we plan a regathering when everything is so uncertain? I mean, I, I don't want us to regather as a church and then get a bunch of people sick. I know that there's a lot of people out there that are just searching and hunting for stupid church stories. And I didn't want to be a stupid church. I didn't want to do something where all the news vans roll up and say, here's where the super spreader event occurred. I didn't want to be that. I didn't want to be on TV. I didn't want that to happen. And so, but I just didn't know, how are we going to regather? How are we going to figure this out? And in addition to that, I had no clarity on what to do about this building project and all the plans that we had to raise the money this fall. 
So the odds were not helping me as I tried to figure out what to do, and the nods were not helping me either. About half the emails I got from those in Seabreeze felt very strongly that we should regather now. This was back in July. The other half of the emails felt very strongly on the opposite side. And what I realized at that, at that point is that as a church, while we may agree about who Jesus Christ is, we are not at all on the same page about this COVID stuff. We're all over the map, kind of like our nation. People are just all over the place on this. So neither the odds or the nods were helping me in making my decision. So I was sitting in my office one day, honestly just getting more and more discouraged when I remembered that I am not to lean on my own understanding. The next statement tells us what we're to lean on. It says, in all your ways, acknowledge him. That's the second predecision. That is the acknowledging decision. What this is saying is not just to kind of tip your head up and say, oh yeah, God, acknowledge him that way. What this is saying is that we need to bring God into the details of the flow of our life. We need to make our moves with a full awareness and checking in with God as we make our decisions. Now, to be honest, I wasn't ignoring God in this time. But what I was doing when it came to these decisions, I was doing a lot of thinking on my own and a lot of reading of what other people thought. And that had turned into a lot of worrying on my own. And at that point, I realized it was time to stop thinking on my own and start thinking with God. I had been leaning too much on my own understanding. And it was time to correct that and start leaning more heavily on God. So I decided on that day I need to go on a bike ride. For me, if I need to spend some extended time with God, for some reason I do it best on a bike. The longer I ride and the more I sweat, the clearer my mind gets and the louder God often speaks. So as I rode, I began first to confess my discouragement and my worry. And that that pointed to the fact that I was struggling, honestly, to trust that God was in charge and doing something good through this. I was really struggling with that. So I confessed that to God. That took me maybe a couple miles to do that. Then I went back through the past, my own past. I just thought through my own history, my wife and I, our history. I thought through the history of Seabreeze. And I began to remember how many times God has come through for us, has led this church and led me and provided for us. And I spent some time just thanking God for that. And then I asked him, I said, God, what, so what, I need some clarity. What, what should we do next? This is so foggy. I have no idea what our next move is. And at that point, I decided I'm just going to start considering, I'm just going to brainstorm in my head all the possible things I can think of that we might do next as a church. So I began to consider all the possibilities. And as I considered each of the possibilities, I then imagined what it would be like standing up in front of you here and communicating, so here's what we're doing as a church. That makes it more real for me if I think of, okay, what's going to be the response if I say this, and how, how is that going to be received? And I was struck by something as I thought through a number of possible next moves. What I was struck by was this, while we don't all agree about COVID, there is right now, I think, in this church an unprecedented unity around our mission. I mean, we have spent the previous two years getting really clear on this. Our mission is, in case you've forgotten in the fog of COVID, is this, thoughtfully inviting, 
broken people to experience transformation in Christ. Now, we had spent years just honing in on this and what that means. And it really is impossible for everyone to agree on anything. But on this, we agree. And my sense is, in my 30 years here as the pastor, there is more unity around this than at any time in our history. That's unusual. And then I thought of something else. I thought of all of the hours that we had spent praying for the people of our community. If you were with us last year, you might remember this. Our goal was to spend 4,000 hours praying for 1,000 people by name last year. And we were about three-quarters of the way through that effort when COVID hit. And then I thought of another thing. I thought of all of the, the resources, all of the financial resources, the money that we've been able to set aside over the past four years to prepare for this moment. We've been able to set aside $1.3 million out of our budget to put towards this building. That's never been anything close to what we've had resource-wise as a church in our history. And at that point, as I thought of these three things, all of the unity at Seabreeze, all of the prayer that had preceded this COVID and preceded our chance to talk with our neighbors, many of whom we've been praying with in ways that we hadn't been able to before COVID, and all the resources that God's put together. And it wasn't an audible voice from heaven, but this is what I heard God say in that moment. I think it was about mile 17 on the San Gabriel River Trail. This is what God said to me in my heart. He said, Bevan, I did not assemble all of that unity and all of that prayer and all of that money just so that Seabreeze could hunker down and survive this pandemic. What he said to me is, I put Seabreeze in a unique position to reap the harvest of changed lives that will be the real fruit of this pandemic. And I remembered at that point that when Jesus spoke of the church, his first statement about the church was this. He said, the church will be something that the gates of hell will not prevail against. That's our birth certificate. That's who we are as a church. And what that means is we are not a retreating and surviving entity. We are an advancing force of what God is doing in this world. We don't play defense. We do offense. That, that's our birth certificate. That's our birthright. That's who we are. We are the force that storms the gates of hell that advance against the evil in this world. We're not a retreating force. We're not a, I hope we can survive this kind of gathering. And that switched my understanding and my thinking. I went from how are we going to survive this to what are the opportunities that God has embedded in this that we need to advance towards? And I had my answer at that point. Two things became really clear to me. We have got to start planning to regather. And we've got to move forward on completing this campus so that we're ready. So I came back, spoke with the leaders of Seabreeze, and I started the conversation with, okay, so this may sound crazy, but I think this is what God wants us to do. So feel free to tell me I'm crazy. 
But there was agreement that this is, this is exactly what we need to do. So is this a good decision? Time will tell. We'll look back on this and say, well, God really guided us, or, boy, Bevan really messed up. Time will tell. That's just the way decisions are. But what I'm confident of this is that if we do these first two predecisions, if we lean not on our own understanding in all our ways, secondly, acknowledge him, then we get to see God do something that I think is one of the most miraculous things of all, and that's the third statement of this. He will make our paths straight. The result of making decisions with these predecisions in place is that you get to look back and you get to watch God straighten your paths. That's the third point. Watch God straighten your paths. It says, and he will make your paths straight. What does that mean? Well, a straight path is the shortest point from A to B. It's the shortest route from point A to point B. That's always our preference when it comes to making decisions. If you're you're going somewhere after church, your plan is going to be the most direct route there. We do the same thing when we make decisions, when we plot our life. What's the most direct way to get from where I am to where I want to be? So our plans, as we make them, they always look straight. That's the way we make them. We don't say, what's the most convoluted way I could get there? We say, what's the most efficient way I could get there? What's the straightest way I could get there? Here I am. Here's where I want to be. How do I take the steps in the straightest possible way to get there? But when you look back over your life, does your path look straight? It just goes all over the place. Why? It's because life rarely goes according to our plan. I mean, you can plan a straight path, but you can't pull off a straight path. That's because all kinds of things interrupt our plans. We get distracted. We get interrupted. We get lost. And we didn't plan for COVID to knock us off our feet, but it did. We don't have any way to plan for the surprises that life so often throws our way. Both good surprises and bad ones. So our paths always look straight when we plan them going forward and crooked as we look back. But what this is saying is that God's paths, if we ask him for guidance, it's the exact opposite. They often look crooked as we move forward, but as you turn around and look back, they're amazingly straight. What does that mean? Well, let's say, for example, you have a goal today of, a straight path of how you're going to accomplish all these things. But then, one of the things God says is, is you need to love people. And so there's an opportunity to help someone, love someone. But it's not, it's a detour off of what you had planned. So it looks like, you know, in order to follow God, you're going you're to have to get away from your plan. It's not the shortest route from A to B. It's, it's a crooked route. Or another option is, here's where I am financially and here's where I want to be. This is where spreadsheets are so good in projecting, here's where I want to be. But then God says, well, actually, you need to tithe or or you need to be generous at this point. But we have a financial plan, and that was not on the plan. So it looks like a detour, takes us away from it. And this is a challenge for us. When we come to that why in the road, the why of decision, the big question is this. Do I trust only in what I can see, you know, the plans that I've made? Or am I willing to lean not just on my own understanding? Am I willing to lean on what God has said? And if he asks me to take a detour, take a 
a, a, a turn? Am I willing to do that? Trusting that God can see more than I can. That God can see the trap that he's trying to keep me from falling into. That he can see the opportunity that I can't see in the future. That's why he's taking me in this direction. So if you look back on a life navigated by trusting in your own understanding, it'll be a crooked mess. You know, we thought we were charting a straight course, but it turns out we were just lost. If, on the other hand, you come to the intersection of your understanding and God's understanding and you trust his way and not yours, you'll look back and you'll see a straight path leading right from where you were to where God wants you to be. I've seen this personally so many times. It seems like there was a detour, and I look back, and I see now that, boy, God protected me from this, and God provided this, and it's a brilliant plan. But I couldn't see it in the moment. I mean, this property itself, Elliot was talking about we're going to get together a week from this Monday. Part of what we're going to do is reminisce a little bit about how the path that God has brought us here for. I mean, this property up to this point cost $12.5 million. We started with $250,000. I mean, how do you draw an arrow from $250,000 to $12.5 million? You can't. There's, it's impossible. And if you were with us, you know that it was a bumpy road and there were a lot of curves and turns. But you know, as I look back on that, I'm just amazed at how turn by turn, step by step, God protected us and provided for us. God does not give us straight paths to travel on. He makes them straight only after we followed him around the corner of the unknown into the future. This is so important. Let me say it again. God does not give us straight paths to travel. In other words, we can see, oh, I can see how this is going to work out. He makes them straight. Only after we followed him around the corner into the future. We look back and we say, oh, I can see now. But looking forward, we just have to trust. We have to lean on our understanding. So, as a church, I'm leading us together with the other leaders of this church to follow God around the corner. And I'm excited to maybe a few years from now turn around and look back and just see what God has done. So that's how you make a decision, a good decision, I think, in a global pandemic. And we'll see what God does. Let's pray. Father, we close our eyes again as a reminder to us that we can't see one minute into the future. You can. We've got theories and ideas about why this global pandemic is hitting the world, but you have precise plans. You have a precise intent in this. And you have placed us here at this time so that we might do our part. And so because we we can't see around the corner of the next minute, we seek after you and we ask for your direction. And our understanding as a church is this is where you're leading us. So I pray that you would unite us around this and that we, again, would get a chance to look back and marvel at how miraculous you are when you straighten paths that look so convoluted and crooked. 
we pray for our neighbors, for our friends, for our family members. God, we pray that for those who do not know you, who have been distracted by so many other things, that this year you would do a deep work on their hearts and they would become curious about you. And you would give us the opportunity to represent you to them. We pray all these things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, who we follow around the corner into the unknown. We pray this in your name. Amen.